Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. everybody welcome to another episode of broadway breakdown i am your basically your host these days matt Koplik, uh and joining me for a return to the stage is the lovely prescott seymour also known as sutton lee seymour probably how we're gonna list probably him on, yeah. On this, yeah hi hi i wish your viewer your listeners could have seen the immense facial expression you just gave to get into hi everybody like the eyes were wide the jaw was unlocked unhinged and ready for a cock in your mouth <laughs> you know what's really awful is that my grandmother has decided she wants to listen to this podcast so when she eventually gets to this episode it's gonna be great hi, hi grandma hi nanny um yeah no that's become like a running joke on this pod is that no one can see my face when we do it. Right. So they're really missing a great deal. We should start recording our recordings of it so people right. can see what I do because I do a lot of action. You do. It, imagine Kermit going, yay! And that, that's pretty much Matt Koplick's face. <laughs> I am very emotive. Yes. 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 But that, it, it, it shines through listening to it. That's all that I care about. <laughs> exactly. That and love. Uh, of blowjobs. Oh. Anyhow. Again, hello, Grandma. Hello, Grandma. Hello, Nanny. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's you look a... well. Oh, go on. Yeah, well, I know that you just had a very nice workout, so you I got that post-workout shine. did. I did. My endorphins are going crazy, mm-hmm. so I'm feeling awake. I'm feeling alive. I'm you invigorated. F- you feel healthy and Jane Fondaful. I do. Ooh, Jane Fondaful. That's, That's a, a good verb. It's a Howard Ashman rhyme on smile. Ah, and you are obsessed with smile. I am. It's not Broadway breakdown if we don't mention bottoming and I don't mention smile or carousel. Have you done an obsessed on on, on smile? No, because no one's interviewed me for that yet. Well, maybe you should work on that. Yeah, I sh- I'll grab somebody. I'll have you come back and you can interview me Great, about my I've obsession on smile. All the questions. All the questions. For example, why? <laughs> why not? Is why? what I say. Absolutely. Well, so I uh, I told you before we started recording, I had my audition for the Gay Men's Health Choir. Yes, how'd it go? Uh, very well. And of course, I sang Disneyland from Smile. Of course you did. Um, of course I did, because why wouldn't I? But like, you know that you're in a room of people who get you when 
they say, oh, what are you going to sing? And I say, Disneyland. And three out of the five men shout, I love Smile. Oh, I didn't yeah. even say Smile. They just go, I love Smile. That's when you know you're in the right place. Mm-hmm. You're with your people. And then the monitor outside, who is a lovely gentleman, probably in his uh, early 60s, said, ah, Thank you for singing that song. Getting your Jody Benson on. I was just going to say, so uh, back in the days when I worked for Disney Cruise Line mm-hmm. on the Transatlantic Cruises, um, Jody Benson came and did a concert. Uh. And she sang Disneyland on the Disney cruise ship. And what's amazing to me is nobody in the audience knew what the hell that song was. No. And so, like, hearing it for the first time, it was just uh, a, a, an energetic revelation to these people. And here is me, Mr. Homosexual, and, you know, okay, be like, Yas Queen! Yas! Jolly Benson! Jolly Benson! I mean, it's a great song. Um, I love that score in general, but that song has become well-known for a reason. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you seen the video of her doing it at the Hollywood Bowl? I have not. I mean... She's older, and so it's a little lower, but um, the the fun thing about it... So it's at the Little Mermaid at the Hollywood Bowl live. So Oh, the one with uh, Sarah Balanamas mm-hmm, and Rebel, Sarah, Willis, and, and Rebel that, Wilson. Yes, that, that whole talk. one. No, who can anymore? Uh, yes, that one. And they had Jodi come out at the end. Of course. And uh, she talked about like her journey with Little Mermaid and how that came from Howard Ashman. And she met Howard Ashman doing Smile. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of gays in the audience. She's like, woo, Smile. And she goes, and I had a song. And it was like the big song on the show. And I'm, I sing it all the time. And I'm so excited to do it now. And some gay in Hollywood Bowl shouts, sing it, Jodi! Oh, my God. And she shouts back, don't you know I will, baby? <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's a sassy woman. I, I do... Love. She and Chris and Chenoweth are very similar in the sense that they love Jesus, mm-hmm. but they are still here for the gays. Yeah. And, which I think shows you like... Can, you can totally do both. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a religious person. Neither I don't. Am I. I don't care for religion at all, but I'm here for what gets you out of bed and makes you a good person and yeah. a loving person. Right. Um, and in the case of Jody Benson and Kristen Chenoweth, they can love Jesus and be like gay men and totally. women are allowed to be around. I think that's admirable. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a nice little middle area. So um, that, that that's going to be just a, 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 a preview of your upcoming Obsessed yes. on Smile. Yes, you and guys have that to look forward to when Prescott comes back on and to interview. you. Yes, exactly. Turning the tables. Um... <laughs> We have our own little obsession today. Yes. Um, we'll get to it in a minute, uh, just because I want to keep teasing these fuckwads. Uh, <gasps> you call your audience fuckwads and your mom just walked by. Hi! <laughs> she- Mom! <laughs> oh, God. She can't leave me alone. You've said fuck and wad in front of your mother. I've said worse. Jesus. Jesus. I mean, <laughs> this. yeah, this episode will be coming after... The episode with Abby Goldfarb, I guess, where I openly announced that I watched Easter Parade with my mother for the first time recently. Oh, man. Um, so, like, if ever anyone thought that I was both gay and had a weird friendship with my mother, there you go. There, there was never a question, man. Never a question in the world. Um, but there's been some fun announcements in the Broadway world that I wanted to get your take on before we got into your obsession. So many things. I took copious notes last night, skewering... <laughs> Scouring, skewering or scouring? Uh, why play, not both? Why not both? Playbill.com. So much is happening. Even stuff that I was like, oh, I did not realize that was coming. Yep. So what are you excited about? Uh, well, 
numero uno thing I'm most excited about this season is Caroline or fucking change. That's the biggest news right now from the London production, right? Lo- mm-hmm. With uh, with the same lead. Yes, Sharon something. I forgot her last name. I think Lewis? It a, no, I think no. it's a Watson or something like that. I think okay. I, I, I'm, I'm seeing a W right now. Sharon Wilkes? No, that's... that's uh, it's her Broadway debut. Is, it is. It is. Because she's a London lady. What's funny about Caroline or change is I didn't get to see the original Broadway production, but... Uh, people who have are obsessed with it. Obsessed with it and are that so would excited. Be so I'm excited to finally see it. I've only listened to the recording, mm-hmm. so I'm excited to see it. Um, and I know Dusty Ray Bottoms is excited to see it <laughs> and Paige Turner because they both perform Lot's Wife. Oh, do um, they? Yes, which uh. is wonderful and terrible at the same time. Of course. <laughs> I, I'm surprised neither of them have done any of Emmy Thibodeau's stuff, which is Anika Nani Rose. Oh, God, she's got her. She's got some good stuff. You remember Fun Mama down at the parking lot alongside the A and W. Uh, I have a friend who took me to see a dress rehearsal of Carolina Change wow. at the Public Performing Arts High School last this past year. Wow. Yeah, which I went in. I mean, it's PPAS. They're all very talented. It's like one of the two fame schools along with LaGuardia. So I knew they were talented, but I was like, 16-year-olds doing Carolina Change? Okay. Let's go. Let's let's see. But it was so good. Yeah? Um, and I was the only person in that audience who like knew that score. Yeah. So... I, w- I was, like, bopping up and down to, like, random-ass shit. Um, <laughs> just like when you did Wild Party, and I was, like, a little five-year-old. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. Car- I was Kermit. No, I, d- I saw that original production, and it was... Ooh, seeing that and Light in the Piazza within a, a 12-month period was very changing for me. Yeah. Yes. It definitely changed my perspective on theater. I went from being, like, a kid who loved everything to, to all of a sudden becoming an obnoxious little shit. who's like, mmm... It's uh, the structure isn't as strong as it could be. Matt, you were always an obnoxious little shit. This just helped you enhance it. Sixteen feet below sea level, torn between the devil and the muddy brown sea. Sixteen soggy feet below the Gulf of Mexico. you're most excited for too, Carolina Shane? Um, well, no. I mean, <laughs> I didn't realize that, that Take Me Out uh, is making a revival next year. Speaking of cock. Yeah, hello. My favorite topic. <laughs> uh, with Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Yeah. Did not know that. Very excited about that. I'm also excited for Six to be coming to Broadway. Same. Uh, have you listened to it at all? I have not. Neither have I. Uh, I I've heard snippets. We do play some of it at uh, Broadway Mondays at Hardware mm-hmm. Bar every Monday night, 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, we do play, you know, our VJ plays a couple clips from it, and I've enjoyed it it has this sound it's kind of like for those of you that don't know what six is six is a rock concert version of the six wives of henry the eighth yes so it's like altar boys um but less Mm -hmm. jesus more dead queens yeah it's it's (laughs) altar boys meets uh i was gonna say man for all seasons which is about yeah which is in the time of Henry VIII, but not a lot of people know that play. No. Wolf Hall, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. But like, Meets the Tudors. But it's there a concert. Go. But it, yeah. it's been touring. It was in Chicago. I think it's in Boston. Yeah, it's in Boston now. Uh, so, and it's beca- everybody's raving about it, so I'm excited for it. I'm glad I don't have to travel to Chicago or Boston to see it, because it's Same. coming to me. It is. Um, I'm very excited for it, too. I, 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 Anne Boleyn is, like, one of the most interesting people in history to me, mm-hmm. just because of the things that she 
got Henry VIII to do for her that changed the landscape of Europe. Um, and she's also the mother of Elizabeth I. So, mm-hmm. you know, important woman. Uh, I tried really hard not to listen to the music. I have heard right. her song. Uh, her song was played for me, and I like it a lot. Uh, and I watched their Olivier performance, because uh, okay. it did originate in London. And it was good. I wasn't as wildly impressed by it, but the word of mouth on the show is so fantastic. It's so hot. Yeah, that I'm... That <laughs> so I'm, hot. It's so hot right now. Uh, Hansel, <laughs> so hot right now. Uh, no, I'm very excited for it, and I, I think part of it is is seeing it live. And it's going to be at uh, one of my favorite Broadway theaters, the Brooks Atkinson Theater. Mm-hmm. I love that theater. One of two theaters named after a theater critic. Right? Which and I, the Walter Kerr. Mm-hmm. I find that very interesting. It's like a weird, abusive relationship Broadway has. Right? But theater critic. Could you imagine one day the Ben Brantley Theater? Oh, God. Mm. The only thing worse would be the Charles Isherwood Theater. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Moving on. Moving right along. Next thing you're excited about? Um, There is... Oh, I'm... You know, I, people are a little hot and cold about the upcoming revival of West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you. Like me. But I'm excited based on the fact that the director... Uh, Ivan Van Hove uh, is he's got such a reputation yeah um, and speaking of Ben Brantley I, I, <laughs> he used this he, Ben Brantley called him a maximist minimalist yeah uh, and his oh this is his philosophy on theater um, taking um, an ultra ultra modern minimalist shot through uh, theater with an expressionist theatricality so mm. basically I don't know. I'm I'm just intrigued that we're not going to see the Jerome Robbins choreography. Oh, I yeah. think it's going to be a little stripped down. I freaking love West Side Story, so they can revive it over and over and over again. I will still love it. I love the music. I am excited to see the new choreography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited. Oh, what's his name? Isaac Isaiah Powell. Who's Isaac playing? Powell. Isaac Powell is playing Tony, and mm-hmm. I loved him in Once on this Island. As did I. So I'm excited for that. Uh, just give me West Side Story yeah. all over my face. <laughs> I know. I love West Side Story as well. There's a lot of talent involved at the show that I am excited to see. Uh, there is the gentleman who's playing Bernardo. I don't remember how to pronounce his name, but he was Jigger in the last Carousel revival. Mm-hmm. I'm not pleased about him being in the show. Okay. Uh, partly well- partly because I thought he was terrible in Carousel, but also because he was involved with that whole scandal with New York City Ballet with uh, he was one of the three men in the company as long as well as a patron who shared uh, photos and videos of other women in the company oh. and made very derogatory comments and these photos and videos were taken without the girls permissions or they were taken and not you know allowed to and they weren't given permission to share them obviously of course, of course, yeah. so I don't find him a, a very uh great person and if he were exceptionally talented person or if i loved him in carousel i would i would be a little more conflicted but i'm not as conflicted well good news he West does side t- story you get to see him die i do get to see him get stabbed Spoiler to death. alert if you've never seen west side story if you've never seen west side story what rock have you been living under and how are you listening to this podcast exactly <laughs> um i also don't love uh, I don't. I've always called him Eva Van Hoffe. That could be a hundred percent incorrect. The director. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure is, how to correct, but like his name is Ivo Evo. But I think that's neat. Ivo Evo. Yes, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure if you asked him, he'd just be like, "Yes." Um, <laughs> right. He would be like, "My name is my name." Uh, I yeah. 
I have not liked anything that he's done. Interesting. Yeah. I loved The Crucible. See, I actually, I did like The Crucible because he directed that... The Crucible. He just directed this recent production of Network, Network. on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, so He did he's... Lazarus at New York Theater Workshop and he did uh, View from the Bridge. Yeah. And I saw View from the Bridge and I was severely underwhelmed because I'd heard so many great things really? about it. Yeah, He I has just... a view. He has a perspective yeah. and I, 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 I He has a view from the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just I find his stuff rather um, um like emotionally sterile, if that makes sense. Like mm. I, it's it's tech. It's, I've always found it to be technically impressive. I've never felt anything other than usually confusion uh, from his stuff. I saw Lazarus, which was like batshit. Yeah. Um, and from there, because after that, then I saw Crucible, and I I liked Crucible because at that point I was like. What are you going to do? Just throw it at me. Right. So, like, there was a wolf on the stage. Girls were levitating, and it was in a classroom, and blah. So I was just like, yeah, great, fine, love I'm it. I'm just excited to see what they're going to do with it, because sure. we're, we're getting so much West Side Story coming yeah. up with the film coming out, mm-hmm. um, and this revival, and I feel like there was, I mean, there's West Side Story everywhere. Yeah, there's they just released footage of a production happening in... Japan, I think that's like in the that's in the round or something like Fun. that. Yeah, I know. I love West Side, and I am not a purist. I think like I say, you know, go for new choreography, go for a new interpretation. I think that's what I'm most excited yeah. about. That they are actually breaking, for lack of a better term, breaking the chains of Jerome Robbins' mm-hmm. vision. That we're going to get to see a new interpretation of it. Oh which yeah, I think is so exciting, and not to poo poo the jo- Jerome Robbins, you know, history. Yeah, I that's mean, iconic the, for a reason. But. Exactly, but I, I'm just excited for something new. Absolutely. I mean, I did not care for the last Fiddler revival, but the choreography, which was not Jerome Robbins, right. but 100% new, the choreography I thought was the best thing about it. Right. Um, yeah, so I'm all for it. Great. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Exciting. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge. Let's jump into suddenly Seymour's obsession. Well, that's another story. Never mind. Anyway. Transitions. Transitions. What is your what is your obsession for this episode? For my obsession this episode, we are going to talk about my favorite musical, my favorite year. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you your after least? after Patrick Sulkin's episode came out, uh, Prescott texted me. He was like, uh, "I'm feeling very attacked. I love my favorite year. I, I did my favorite year. I love my favorite year. It was my senior high school musical. I didn't know that people did it. We did it. It was great. It was a lot of fun. It is a it is a fun show to be. And I don't know how the audience liked it, but we yeah. had a great time. But yeah. we're not talking about my favorite year. We're we, not. We're talking about Into the Woods. Yes, we are. Which is another show where sometimes the cast has more fun than the audience. This is true, but." It depends on the concept. Depends of the on show. the concept. Depends on the level of production. Sometimes yes. when you see a high school do it, the cast has more fun than the audience. Yes. Um, oh, if you want a really good, like a good fun time, just go watch one of those videos of the Boom Crunch um, <laughs> streaming. Just mm-hmm. constant, like one after the next after the next. You see high school productions. You see professional productions, and not just the ooh. Sometimes ear-piercing boom crunches at the end of The Last Midnight, but then just watching a poor teenage girl with a cape trying to cover her face and trying to run off stage because she's quote-unquote disappearing. Oh, no. I know. It's, but it's sweet. It just goes, oh, uh, good for you. Yes. And the good news about this episode is that everyone's familiar with Into the Woods. I would like to think so. Yeah. I think Into the Woods, in our generation specifically, um, it is 
it was kind of our West Side Story and the Music mm-hmm. Man. It kind of changed our view on theater. Absolutely. For me, I was maybe five or six years old when the PBS production came out mm-hmm. and my dad recorded it on the VHS tape mm-hmm. and he saw it on Broadway. He knew I loved the Phantom of the Opera recording and Lame Miz recording and he thought this would be fun and it's fairy tales. And it came out in March of 1991 and March of 1991 was like the month I decided this is what I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. I want to pursue theater. I want to dive into the layers of text and lyrics. I want to understand everything that is musical theater because of Into the Woods, because of this production. And I think a lot of people in our generation of actors Mm -hmm. um, have a similar feeling towards Into the Woods. Absolutely. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, I know that in March of 1991, that was my epiphany, too. Granted, I was turning one, but still. Um, <laughs> no, Got um, old, okay. I mean, no, that VHS of Into the Woods, of the original Broadway production of Into the Woods, is, uh, it's historic. It's very important. Absolutely. It's definitely, every generation has that thing. Yes. That made that generation of actors and writers and designers want to pursue it. And I think, it's not hyperbole to say that Into the Woods, that production, that recording, did that for us um you know every decade or so there's something that kind of comes along and you know a few years later rent did the same thing for slightly Mm -hmm. younger than us Mm -hmm. not that much younger just like a few years younger um and then there's some overlap there and then hamilton and hairspray yeah um, but yeah like but the the thing about into the woods at that time so hamilton and rent those are you're talking about like those are major pop culture phenomena like the country knows it exactly into the woods people know it but at that time it was being kind of buried by the phantom of the opera Mm -hmm. and les mis but still beat uh, Phantom of the Opera for best score and best book. Yes. And best actress in a musical. Hello, Joanna Gleason. Hello, Joanna Gleason. So it has, it. Into the Woods has a place in our theatrical hearts. I think everyone in the community knows and loves Into the Woods and mm-hmm. knows the potential that any production could have. And that's why I think a lot of people want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Phantom of the Opera at that time, and even today, it's still running today. Yeah. It's so musically sweeping and and mesmerizing and Mm -hmm. you know it's literally the phantom through the mirror saying i am your angel and stealing people away from into the woods that's what i say well it's interesting (laughs) i mean as with every obsession we learn more about it and its history how it was perceived at the time and when you watch the 1988 tony awards because it's on youtube the whole thing yes phantom very much was like the thing that year yeah you every every tony telecast you can tell like what's the thing there yes you yeah. can feel the buzz yes. in the end i mean and i found recently a bootleg on on youtube mm. of the original phantom of the opera with michael crawford oh, yeah. and sarah brightman and watching just the prologue and then oh, that audience goes crazy the, the, when this when the chandelier leaves the stage and flies above them and goes up the crowd goes crazy Absolutely. so just to feel that kind of excitement because at that time spectacle on broadway like that was mm-hmm. Not really seen or heard of. No. So of course there was going to be a great buzz about it. Yeah. Into the Woods does have it's fairy tale, so of course there's going to be magic and transformations and witches disappearing mm-hmm. in a cloud of smoke and all that and magic beans and beanstalks. But somehow Phantom, because of the frickin' chandelier, mm. mesmerized the country. Yeah. There were were the shows that the public decided were like the things, and then there were the shows that the theater community was like, yes. but we still love this. So yes. even though if you watch the Tony telecast of 1988 phantom is clearly like the buzziest show 
but there was still a love for Into the Woods oh, that, yeah. like... Into the Woods, like, gave it Phantom a run for its money. Absolutely. It won the Drama Desk for Best Musical that and year. And the Critics Circle and Award. And the Critics Circle Award. And it ran longer than a lot of... The longest-running Sondheim show, I think, since... Uh, forum because yeah, it ran it, longer than the company. It had a solid two years on Broadway. Yeah, and the reviews were like kind of a little all over the place. The mm-hmm. New York Times didn't care for it, but that's because by that point, Sondheim had already done Sweeney Todd and yeah. A Little Night Music. He had had Sunday a ma- in the Park. He had a major comeback with Sunday in the Park with George, and I think critics were really excited to see Into the Woods because right. they were thinking same collaborator, an amazing cast. Like this is going to be super like with a cast starring Bernadette Peters. Mm-hmm. Like it. It was kind of like, oh, this could be a win-win-win situation. Yes. And I think, had Phantom of the Opera waited one more season, I think Into the Woods could have been the hit musical that year. Yeah. And this is not to undercut its uh, success as it was. It was very very successful. Yeah, and especially for a Sondheim musical. The fact that it returned its investment at all. It is still his most produced show Mm -hmm. uh, regionally in high schools. Mm -hmm. It is is his most produced show. Yeah, but as with every Sondheim show, it opened and like it had its fans, it had its detractors and it also got overshadowed by flashier, bigger stuff. But it has lasted. It's lasted. And uh, people still feel very... uh, uh, divisive about how Acts 2 is treated, you know, because mm-hmm. it follows the same structure as Sunday in the Park with George, where Act 1 is its own story and Act 2 is its own story and it becomes one musical. Mm-hmm. And people, some people just responded very negatively to the darkness of Act 2, but yes. it's so important. It is important. I've... And we can talk about the themes. Of course. I, I, I also became very obsessed with Into the Woods at a very young age. I did like a highlight version of the show super illegal when i was like eight or nine years old i played jack i think it was literally like an 80 minute version which was sort of the whole show basically it was like we did the majority of act one and then a highlights version of act two right um which is like the movie sort of yeah pretty much pretty much uh i have a fondness for the movie i don't think the movie's perfect but i think for what they were trying to do they did it as well as you could we you know they did a i thought act one in the movie was wonderful and then they just kind of sped through act two and they made some changes that didn't agree with it but that's sure. not the story never yeah. mind anyway, anyway um, every time i say that take a shot um no i i do enjoy the movie i there are parts yeah. of the second half i that you're right they do speed through a little bit i wish they would live a little more in the no one is alone section of it i was yes. a little not annoyed i was i was disappointed that they kind of plopped through it yeah. um but I also will fight for the fact that I think that even though they weren't allowed to technically kill Rapunzel on screen, the attitude of the movie I felt was that she will go and die. The oh. way that the way they end her storyline in the movie is that like she's going off with a man who they change Rapunzel's prince's character, yeah, so that he's less of a cat and more of a bumbling idiot. Yeah. And in the face of this really big danger, uh, he can't protect her and she goes off into like very dense mist with like ominous music playing and I felt that was projecting like she will die very shortly after this moment but she'd rather go and do that than stay with her mother Mm. Um, I mean the sentiment it has the same sentiment I don't I don't know I think literally (laughs) once she rides off Mm -hmm. with her prince her story is there, and that's up to your interpretation. That's my interpretation. That's fine. I, 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 until you see her being squashed by the giant, you know. Yeah. Unless you see a dead body, <laughs> presume that the character is still alive. Sure. That so. is that. That is fair. Um. That has always just been 
My interpretation. I think it just robbed Meryl Streep's because uh, performance because he, well we're getting into performances now mm. because it is so it is so important for Rapunzel to be killed by the giantess mm-hmm. because then at that point the witch has literally lost everything she's lost yes. her home she's lost her garden she's lost her daughter and now she's dead and now people when it gets to that last midnight moment mm-hmm. where people are pointing things at her saying it's her fault she loses her mind mm-hmm. and so in my mind Rapunzel running off into the mist with the prince there is still hope that the witch could catch up with her one day and I'm gonna find you but you do you take away her stakes a little bit and I yeah, think that stakes robs, are a little lower yeah the stakes are a little lower now I listen Meryl Streep is a goddess as mm. we all know and her performance in Last Midnight was frightening and wonderful mm-hmm. but me being the obsessed freak that I am on Into the Woods just went mm, but did you really lose everything you're just giving up you're not even going to go to try to find Rapunzel no you're just going to get sucked in the ground okay fine okay fine no I, I absolutely get that um, and it's true with Rapunzel and it's more not even that Rapunzel dies but that Rapunzel gets killed right in front of her eyes yeah so it's the last first of all it's the last thing tethering her to this world that she had any uh, stake in, but it's also the fact that it, it is her, Rapunzel's dying is partly her fault in the sense that her treatment of her daughter, her overprotectiveness of her daughter, is what drove her daughter away exactly and, and into and into death. Um, the, the second act is absolutely important, and anyone who even when I was a child that they would say the second act's not important, and be like, oh, but you, it is. It is, and it's hard sometimes to see that because now that we all are aware of the show. A lot of productions try to really revel in the darkness of Act 2. And James Lapine said a very great thing about directing the show, which I think is very important, is in order for the two to cohabitate, you need to find the tragedy in Act 1 and the humor in Act 2. Interesting. Because Act 1 already has so much humor in it. Oh, yeah. Um, But the stakes have to feel real for the humor to be alive. And in order for the tragedy in Act 2 to be palatable, you do have to find the humor in a lot you of do, stuff. You do, yeah, exactly. And there's nothing better than dark humor. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, I I think any production needs to, any actor, any director, however you stage it, it really is borderline a Shakespearean piece. Mm-hmm. It Act one is such a farce. People coming in and out. Oh, yeah. Uh, and instead of doors, you have woods. <laughs> yeah. Um, Slamming but, down trees. Exactly. And the stakes have to be high. And the, it's funny because the stakes are high. It, they're ridiculous because they're literally trying to find a cow as white as milk, a cape as red as blood, a hair as yellow as corn, and slippers pure as gold. That's ridiculous. But if you play it almost like a Shakespearean play, which I feel like they do in the original Broadway production, oh, yeah. in that PBS production, it works so well because it's not melodrama, but it's heightened. Yes. Um, and so the, you can find the sincerity in the heightened state in yes. the world that you live in, which is why I think the comedy works so well. And even... Going to uh, Act 2, you're still able to find humor. For instance, when uh, Jack's mother gets killed by the steward, Mm -hmm. um, and he has snarky lines here and there, and one-liners, one left and right, they're dark, but they're still kind of funny. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, like, um, I don't make policy, I just carry it out. out. Mm -hmm. The stakes are so high, and people are dying, and that's what you're going to say. It works. It's funny. It's What I love about... So, okay. There is also a comment that the original production is so iconic that so many interpretations are hard to it come is. up with stuff. And it is. Yes. But I think the problem is is that people... In theater, I find that a lot of people want to make sure that their mark is made. 
Yes. And people's initial instincts are to go 100% in the opposite direction of what the original was right. to make said mark. And I think I, that's respectable. Sure. It's it's a little um, impulsive. Not, that's not the right word, but um, like reactive or... or you don't want to be, as, a, as an artist, as an actor, as a director, you do not want to be seen as a copycat. You sure. want to be able to interpret a piece of material uh, with your own vision. Yes. But I also find, especially with something like Into the Woods, looking at the original, you can look at it and go, okay, what made this work? Right. And something that I think made the original work so well was the rhythm of that production. It was almost like a sitcom. Yeah. It was because you have these... Shakespearean tragedy moments followed by a moment of dropped in New York sarcasm. Like, Absolutely. One of my favorite moments in the original production that nobody has ever done since, or at least not nearly as well, is in Act One, the first time that the baker's wife, Joanna Gleason, and Cinderella Kim Crosby meet. Mm-hmm. And they have, and it's this big heightened moment. You know, the baker's wife has the cow. She and her husband are trying to lift this curse. And they they already, James Lapine already said that, like, the way he directed Chip Zion and Joanna Gleason was like, they were a, a modern New York couple dropped into these giant fairy tales. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how they sort of reacted to things. So everybody else had these big... You know Shakespearean moments, and they were like, Meh. Um, <laughs> but so like already you have these heightened things, and you have Bernadette Peters as witch running around being a crazy person, and Kim Crosby runs on stage, and she's being chased by the prince and his steward. It's big falling hi- over in a ball game, but falling over these big theatrical moments. She comes out breathless, and she says to the baker's wife, "Oh, thank you so much." And Joanna Gleason already has her. Oh, I've never lied to royalty before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect line reading, but because she, oh, she her her dry mm-hmm. tones are just comedic gold, gold. But so she and Kim Crosby talk. She goes, "If a prince were looking for me, I certainly wouldn't hide." And Kim Crosby says, "Well, what brings you here?" Oh, thank you. If a prince were looking for me, I certainly wouldn't hide. Well, what brings you here? And with a cow? Oh. Well, my husband is in the woods somewhere. He's undoing a spell. Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so natural and organic, and it's very modern. Exactly. And it's this little bit of modernism in the scene of theatricality. It's honest. It's honest. It's absolutely honest. And no one has done it really Nobody or can as well. replicate that. Yes. No. I mean, or it's very moment when Joanna Gleason says... Um, Compare this to your court. Where did you find this? I ah, pulled it from, from a lady in a tower. tower. Like, nobody can replicate that. Sorry, Sutton Foster. You were wonderful as the baker's wife, but nobody can do that like Joanna Gleason. Yeah. That's the reason why she won the Tony Award for Best Actress. Sorry, Patty Lapone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Patty does say she's like, Joanna Gleason absolutely deserved the Tony for featured actress. And I'm, to which oh, I say, no. Bitch. Well, and <laughs> it's a testament to her performance that it feels like a leading performance. I mean, um, it is, it yeah. is, and the baker's wife truly is the female lead of well, the show. Well, this is how I nerdy I am. Okay, like I, I have a lot of free time sometimes, and so I've met like Joanna Gleason is on stage. It's a two and a half hour musical, and she is on stage for an hour and fifteen minutes. Yes, I counted the minutes that she is on stage. I've even counted the minutes that Bernadette Peters is on stage, and it is forty-one minutes on mm-hmm. stage. So, if you're going to say featured actress or leading actress, Joanna Gleason has the longest stage time compared to Bernadette Peters and Kim Crosby. Now, the person who has the most 
stage time is, of course, the baker who is mm-hmm. on stage for like all of like an hour and thirty five minutes. Yeah, a lot of so, time. A lot of time. Um, and his performance, Chip Zion, Zine, I can never remember how to. I pronounce. think it's Zion. Yeah, Chip Zion. Um, his performance is honestly, I think it's uh, underappreciated. Yeah, uh, I, I think some people do get annoyed by his performance, but I just think he's just playing his honesty, and yes. I think maybe I thought it was wonderful. I, I absolutely understand. It, his performance was the longest for me to warm up to. The, over yeah. all the times that I've watched it. Yeah. I love it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't... Sometimes I wonder with things like that, like, is it that I'm just used to it now? I don't know. But um, That's I def- the thing, watching it... I mean, I watch Into the Woods maybe three times a year. I always come back to it because I just I just love it. And I always still find little nuances that mm. they kind of... that I've never caught before. Like those moments with Kim Crosby and Joanna God, Gleason. moment is just iconic. Um, um, it's... Chip Zions, the baker, I would actually argue is perhaps so. The baker and the baker's wife, I think, are the two hardest roles to play in the show for different reasons. Because well, it's their fairy tale. It's their fairy tale. Baker's wife is the hardest female role because Joanna Gleason is so iconic. It is so tethered to her. It's like Ellen Green as Audrey. It's yes. like um, Barbara Streisand as Fanny Bryce. There is there they've put their mark on it so. Definitely, yeah. and it's so, and it was tailored to their talents that lines just don't work as well if you don't do it the way they did it. Right. But you also want to do your own thing, so that's hard to do. The Baker is hard because he is so passive for so much of the show. Yeah, and in Act Two, when shit hits the fan, it, like he doesn't make any choices on his own until his Baker until his wife is dead. Exactly, and so that's hard to make audiences care about you. True, and I think. The, speaking of the movie, I actually think James Corden did a really lovely job of oh, doing yeah. that. He's he was at, he's probably my favorite. He and Chip Zion are now probably tied for my favorite bakers. Um, yeah, I don't think I've seen a baker that I've gone, I've fallen fully in love with. Yes, sorry, Dennis O'Hare. <laughs> I love Dennis O'Hare. He was not good in that revival. Oops. Part of that was, I think, the direction. Part of that was, I think, he felt just so lost that he kind of gave up. Um, I mean, it's a it is a heavy role. It is a heavy role, it, and it's, that production I mean, a, did not do any favors to the heaviness. I mean, it was well. We can talk about that production. Central we can Park talk. I've got so many productions I want to talk about too. I texted my friend during. I so, so that we're talking about the Central Park production uh, that was a transfer of the open Regen- air theater. Yeah. yeah, Regents Park. I saw it first in Central Park, and I was like, "This is what they were freaking out about." And then I watched the video of the Regents Park cast, and I was like, "Oh." makes a world of difference. It really, and, really does. And the cast here was exceptionally talented. Very good. And I'm not shading any. Everyone in it is amazing. Amy Adams, Dennis O'Hare, Donna Murphy. I think Josh Lehman stole the show as the steward. That's yes. just my personal he opinion. He was very good. And um, Sarah Stiles as Little Red. Oh my God. Like, and Gideon Glick as Jack. Like, it was the most phenomenally talented cast. A really great cast. Should, like, on paper, should have blown the trees out of Central Park. And somehow, I just felt it didn't Jell. No, that's interesting because I I, I saw it twice. Mm-hmm. I saw the first preview, mm-hmm. and it was st- they were still like it was they were figuring it out. It was rough, and then I came back towards the end of their run, and they had figured it out, and it was working, and it was just fantastic. Um, I, I've never seen an audience freak out over the last midnight like that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think Josh Lehman's performance was so wonderful and hysterical, taking a thankless role and making it a something role. Mm-hmm. Um, they made some changes with Amy Adams's um, performance, which was fantastic, I thought. Um, 
Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, I want to talk about Sarah, Sarah Stiles' performance as Little Red. Now, mm-hmm. there's someone who took a role that has been uh, hi- highly established by Danielle Furland mm-hmm. as the original. And she took it and she made it her own, especially because the London production of the open air theater, uh, Little Red Riding Hood, was played by a woman who was bigger and she was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sarah Stiles, who is petite, she kind of made it her own. Yeah. She was a much fiery little red. She was a little fire. She was a little ADD. She had a mm-hmm. little, you know, biker Hel- helmet on the whole yeah. time. She completely made it her own. Absolutely. And that that's hard to do. Uh, and she did it. When he said, come in with that sickening grin, how could I know what was in store? Once his teeth were bare, though I really got scared. Well, excited and scared, but he drew me close and he swallowed The original Into the Woods in London, uh, I mean, the West End in Broadway has had a long history of transfers. You know, it used to be that Broadway shows transferred to London right. in their exact uh, uh, productions. Um and this was an on, original production. Yes, they, so yeah, it, Into the Woods opened in New York in November or December of 87 and then didn't yeah. make it to London until 1990. Right. A brand new production. Yes. Um, and the design for the Broadway, for the West End production was the woods basically were like, it looked like a giant dining room yeah. where the woods oh, were like, the, right. the woods were like wallpaper uh, designs of trees. But like, there were trick doors that you would come out of. Um, You're almost like in an attic, too. Exactly. There's like a giant window in the background. Window, and there's a cuckoo clock. Yes. And, all, and like all the, and chairs and things like that. It was, the idea was almost like a dining room from a child's perspective. So things were bigger than they would be right. normally. And I, again, I never saw it, but there is that video that I have seen of Last Midnight, and I've read. Uh, pieces about it apparently when they were doing the first uh one midnight gone one midnight gone and they go right into giants in the sky there are giants mm-hmm. in the sky a transition they did was they had a chair in the middle of the stage and jack jumps onto the chair and they go into the woods uh into the woods then out of the woods and home before boom, boom. and on that bum jack jumps onto the chair the lights go out and there are, he, there's a spot on him and it's like stars everywhere That's so it's like he's in the sky awesome it's gorgeous i'm, I'm getting chills thinking about it even though i never <laughs> saw it um, There's there are a couple more clips on YouTube of the original London production. Yeah. My favorite about that is the actress who played the baker's wife Miss. is none uh, is none other than Amelda Staunton, Dolores Umbridge. Uh, hello, mm-hmm. probably the most frightening Mama Rose I've ever seen on screen. Did you see that? I yeah, I watched she's it. She's frightening it, in a good way. Like I, you thought Panda Lapone was a monster theater mama. Oh no! Have and you ever wondered what Gollum was like? It's Mama Rose. <laughs> <laughs> I've got news for you, kids. I'm Elton Stunton, Mama Rose. <laughs> You're stuck. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! I mean, it's I. I wish I'd seen it live because I was not as enamored with it on screen as people were in live, and I was told by many people like. You had to see live and watching right, it was like course. I feel like this is very effective in the theater everything's gonna be better live I always say if I could go back in time to see a Broadway production I know this is terrible but I probably would go see the original Broadway production of Into the Woods because it's my favorite yeah. um, I, w- I would love to have seen the original Broadway production live as well um and yeah, and just, just to see it in instance in, in original incarnation in front of me right um what is your favorite moment in Into the Woods what is your moment, favorite moment in the woods? <laughs> um, who, golly, uh, mm, it's still. Ooh, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. There's still moments that 
give me like make me tear up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joanna Gleason singing Moments in the Woods. Yes. And when she sings, let the moment go, don't forget it for a moment. moment though. Like, right? It's just, it still makes me just take a sigh of like, you're right. And it, um, and of course, everything from like, no more to no one is alone. It just makes me bawl. Uh, but my favorite moment. You can talk to birds. <laughs> it's just so funny. It is. And talk about. That I mean, there's a reason why that cast is iconic. Just yeah, Daniel Furlan's line delivery of "You can talk to birds" so is so dry. Oh my god, so good. And just to watch that audience lose themselves mm-hmm. is, and it, the reason it works is because that entire scene leading up to it, just like the stage is like a wasteland, and everyone is covered in dirt. And it's all hope is lost. And we've already gotten accustomed to the fact that Cinderella can talk to birds. And we see Kim Crosby just play her talking to the birds so straight. We've accepted all these rules of this world. Cinderella can... Things have happened. Things happen. And here, at the final moment, (laughs) you can talk to birds. It's so good writing, James Lapine. He... Yeah, he writes some good stuff. He's got a new musical coming out, folks. That looks... that's right. That, I mean... I was reading about it. I'm like, this looks fucking crazy. But, like, you read the plot synopsis of Into the Woods and Sunday in the Park with George, and you're like, this is fucking crazy. To be in the mind of James Lapine. I know, right? God, I just, I hope that this is another Into the Woods in terms of, like, it shouldn't work, and yet it does. I, I really think Into the Woods kind of, and I think we have James Lapine to thank for this, Into the Woods kind of set up a bunch of, fractured fairy tales and different ways to tell stories to look at things from a different perspective i mean look at frozen look at tangled Mm -hmm. look at what it what without into the woods i don't know if we would have um wicked Mm -hmm. you know looking at fairy tales or famous stories from a different angle oh yeah people give that a lot to shrek and i'm like no there would be no shrek without into the woods absolutely into the woods really I mean, I I have not researched everything about the history and presentation of fairy tales. Maybe there's some random dude in Wisconsin who did it in 1970 for five children or something like. Possible. It's things happen. Very but, very possible. Yeah. <laughs> I can just quote it for days. Sorry. Yes, if you don't know what uh, Prescott was just doing, that was um, Bernadette <laughs> Peters. Giant. Possible. Very, very possible. A giant. Maybe we should tell someone. Who are you going to tell? <laughs> so big. So um, big. It's also funny when you read the scripts and then watch the Broadway cast, like the Ugh. jokes they find and things that aren't necessarily jokes. Right. So like the that whole line where, so the beginning of Act 2 when the giant that Jack killed, his wife comes back to like cause havoc wreak havoc sorry um and the baker the baker's wife and the witch discuss like what could cause this destruction in our village and first bear no it's a bear not a bear it's not a dragon not a manticore and then they go giant very very possible and then the witch is describing the uh danger of a giant in the script it reads as um a giant is like us, only bigger, much, much bigger, so, so big, big that we are ju- that we are an expendable bug beneath its foot. And it's just Bernadette Peters being pure Bernadette Peters. And she goes much, much bigger, so, so big. big. 
because that's I mean, actually your listeners know they've yeah, seen it yeah, the woods. They have to have, but like and you read the script it's the line is actually so big that we are an expendable bug beneath its foot but she makes it two sentences so big and that's a joke right a nor- like normally reading it we go much much bigger so big that we are and it's like mm. she goes mm, there's a joke in there so she goes so big i mean she's she's a funny lady she's a, we she's forget a how fucking funny she is i love somebody i love the um in act one with the mysterious man she scares him and he goes ah and she goes what are you doing oh my god so good what are you doing and, to, oh, and tom aldrich tom aldrich is the narrator and mysterious man mm-hmm. I, again i think underappreciated his performance is it, wonderful it was a full day of eating for both i also love daniel Furlan's Oh dear, how uneasy I feel. So good. So good! They were constantly to make a solution every day, but they never lost their nerve, and they reached the right conclusions. And we got what we So what do you think makes a successful production of Into the Woods? You have to have smart actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely, you can't... Uh, you have to... There's so yeah oh golly it again it's casting mm-hmm. um, it can't what makes a good production you have to have a good director who comes in prepared because mm-hmm. you have to be able to stage something specifically and you have to have smart actors who have had who experienced life because Into the Woods deals so much with loss and the reason why Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine wrote this show is basically res- uh, relationships with uh, parents and children mm-hmm. that's why we have songs like No One Is Alone and Children Will Listen and Sondheim having had a, a very conflicted relationship with his own mother mm-hmm. uh, this was kind of his way way of kind of I don't know, expressing that and dealing with his emotions with it. Yeah. Um, I, I d- didn't read up on why James Lapine wanted to write this show, but to me, the, the father's, uh, the, the um, parents and children's relationship has always struck a chord with me. Mm. Uh, and it, I think that's another reason why I love this show so much is because I come from a broken family. I'm the youngest of eight, but technically an Damn. only child. Oh, okay. So I... You know, and my parents divorced when I was like two years old, um, and so I was going back and forth from house to house to house. My siblings were much older than me, all, all half siblings, all step siblings, in and out. And so I think um, this show kind of taught me a lot about how to cope with loss uh, and the suddenness of death, because nobody in Act Two, nobody is ready to see Rapunzel, an established fairy tale character that we all know and love. No one is prepared to see her get killed. Mm-hmm. Here's Jack's mother. No one is prepared for her to die because she's such a fun-loving character and now she's dead. Yeah. And so, as a five-year-old, six-year-old watching the show, that was a lot for me to start coping with the ideas of uh, mortality. Um, so, back to the question. It's important for an actor to really know yourself, know your emotions, uh, I think an actor who has experienced a little bit of loss in their own life Mm -hmm. so they can bring that to the stage because when you're watching the baker sing no more you can't just have a senior from college who hasn't necessarily experienced that Um, you have to you you don't know what those lyrics mean until you kind of lived them and I think that speaks a lot about Sondheim's lyrics and his music absolutely because they come from such a sense of truth in his own life getting back to his relationship with his yes. parents. Sorry, that was a bit of a tirade. No, but that I gave you the floor for that. Yeah. Um, and this is your obsession. No, you're absolutely... Sondheim had a very complicated relationship with his mother. And the yes. more I think about it, the more I realize that the Rapunzel witch storyline yes. does mirror that. Yes. Um, 
Sondheim also uh, comes from a broken home. His parents divorced when he was very young. Uh, his mother never remarried, as far as I know, but um, his, and his father did, and like kind of had a whole new life, and mm-hmm. which is why he looked at Oscar Hammerstein as like a second father because mm-hmm. he was more of a father to him than his real father, and his mother was just sort of this uh, overbearing, uh, narcissistic, and very resentful woman. It was almost like she resented him for existing, but yet his existence justified her existence. So it was like, I need you to know. That I think nothing of you, but don't you dare leave my side. Exactly. Um, and it gets to that scene where the witch asks Rapunzel, what's the matter? Oh, nothing. nothing. Has that monologue. And then I truly believe that in this moment, <laughs> when the witch says, I was just trying to be a good mother. I believe Sondheim could, you know, Sondheim's yeah. mom could have said something like that to her. Oh, absolutely. You know. To him. Oh, yeah, no, to him, excuse me. Uh, pa- Pamela, Wins- Pamela Winslow. Winslow, yes. God, she what a phenomenal Rapunzel she was. Yes. Oh my God. And just, she's such a great scene partner for Bernadette all the time. Ba- Rapunzel basically acts as a scene partner for the witch. Exactly. That role again, kind of a thankless role. You got a couple nice scenes, mm-hmm. but you are really there to feed the actress playing the witch. Yes. But the witch is only effective if we buy into her relationship if you, with Rapunzel. If you buy the pain that Rapunzel is feeling, and mm-hmm. the minute. The minute, you know, before Stay With Me, you can see the fear in her eyes. You oh, can yeah. see, like, the conflicted, like, I love you, but I'm afraid of you, and I want to get away, but that, I want to be with you. That and Stockholm Syndrome. Is, yeah, she does such a good job yeah. with that. Oh, my God. They're, and their connection at the end of Stay With Me, when it's that little moment where uh, Bernadette does the, like, little walking fingers to Rapunzel on yes. the Stay a Child, and Rapunzel grabs the fingers like a little baby. And kisses and them. And kisses them, and she has the tears in her eyes. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a oh, lovely it's moment. Oh, it's my heart oh, right now. Mine too. mine too. Chills. Can I tell you? Oh, go, finish oh, and then, and then, But then when when Bernadette, at the end of it, uh, goes crazy again, and you see the fear in Rapunzel, you see her go from like loving and caring and sad to fear all of a sudden. It's you, I mean, Rapunzel's a hard part to cast as well because you do need a good soprano who can do those lovely, yes. ah, but you need a good actress, actress too. And so, fun fact, did you know that the role of Rapunzel, this was, uh, she was a replacement, but this was Marin Maisie's Broadway debut. I did know that. And so, uh, can I tell you a quick story about Absolutely. Marin Maisie? A quick, yes. before you do, there is a video of Marin Maisie as I've Rapunzel. Seen it. Yes. Seen I've, it. Uh, Nancy Nancy Dussault. Yes, is the witch, and it's a it's stay with me, and you do see her play Rapunzel and, in it. It's yes. lovely. So, Marin Maisie, um, I've taken a couple of, uh, when she was with us, I got to take a couple of her classes. She came to my school, and we got to do some master classes with her. And she mm-hmm. tells this story. Uh, Rapunzel was her Broadway debut in the original production of Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was her first night on or within the first week she was on. So, she's playing Rapunzel, and she is the second cover to play the witch. Mm. Within the first week, Marin Maisie has to go on as the witch uh, in Into the Woods. And it's her first week on Broadway. And, like, if that's not a star turn right there, again, yeah. brilliant soprano, but you've got to be such a good actress. Mm-hmm. And Marin Maisie was one of the best actresses we had in this generation. She was a phenomenal actress. Yes. I do know the original production, because Pamela Winslow did understudy Cinderella. Um, cause, so, I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, I know that usually Rapunzel does understudy Cinderella because Rapunzel is a part. It's a it's a it's good it's a it's, it's a good part. featured role. Yes, exactly. It's, it's a it's an established track. Yes. Um, but usually to like cover costs, they you know don't want to, and you know into the woods it's hard to have like a giant understudy cast for right. an ensemble. So usually there are people in the 
established cast that understudy other parts. Right, like the stepsisters cover the baker's wife. Mm-hmm. And Cinderella's stepmother uh, understudies the witch. the witch, I believe, yeah. I think um, also the original stepmother, I forget her name right now. but Joy the ri- Franz. Joy, oh, yes, you do. Yes, um, you do. I'm going to hide. She also covered the witch as well. She yes, covered she the witch and the baker's wife. There yes, was a period did. where she played the baker's wife as well. Um, yes, she did. And uh, I know that uh, both stepsisters, yes, they did understudy uh, the baker's wife. In fact, uh, Kay I be- McClelland played the role for a little while, Yes, too. as did the other one. I forget her name. Um, we always remember Kay McClelland, but the other because one. Because it's, it's <laughs> City of Angel. That's why Kay McClelland. Yeah, yes. Um, oh God. Lauren Mitchell, that's her name. There Lauren, it is. I have a playbill where Lauren Mitchell is the baker's wife officially for like a solid two weeks. Oh. It's the, the turnover in that cast is weird for the first couple of months because like Bernadette Peters famously only played the witch for like four F- months. Five and then, months. Five months and then left. Right. But in those five months, like there's some weird moments where, like I guess Joanna Gleason had to go film something uh, somebody else had to go film something so I've got like four playbills of the original Broadway production oh really I hope they have one you homo I'm gi- <laughs> a giant homo but like there's one with Bernadette and Lauren Mitchell's officially the baker's wife and oh, then it's wow. like the entire company but then there's Felicia Rashad um Betsy have, Jocelyn. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Oh, crazy. Have you seen the videos of her playing the witch? Oh, yeah. She batshit crazy girl. Well, I mean, she's the craziest Joanna you've ever seen in Sweeney Todd. I know. Um, but the crazy works for the witch. It does. Not so much for Joanna. But no. Sondheim likes for Joanna, but, you know, whatever. There you go. Uh, I know Marin Maisie, as Rapunzel, did understudy Cinderella. And she under also understudied Little Red, which oh, I think was very special for her because she was young enough to do it. She was young. She was fresh out of school. She was. Um, I don't think Rapunzel usually understudies Little Red, but that's one of those things where, like, if you have a young enough Rapunzel, probably could. Yeah. And then her covering the witch, I think, was very special to her. I don't think Rapunzel's usually did that. No. It, well, I mean, that, I mean, that just speaks volumes of, yeah. of the performer that Marin Maisie was. Exactly. Um and like you you could see even in that bootleg video that you've seen I've seen mm-hmm. you could see oh there's something special here oh yeah she's she's got, had a very special voice where she had that classical soprano that beautiful mix and like, like a nice chesty belt. belt yeah oh. and a very smart actress and a good comedic actress yeah. oh um, yeah to do mother in ragtime and Lily and uh, Lily Vanessi in Kiss Me Kate back to back shows you the kind of talent she was right. to do Aldonza in Man of La Mancha and then and um, then go on to do her performance in Bullets of Her Broadway yeah. playing Hel- this- Helen Sinclair the exa- there it is Helen yeah. Sinclair very Norma Desmond like mm-hmm. oh, she would have what she a Norma been. Desmond oh, she would have been. been such a good Norma oh, Desmond oh god motherfucking damn it now we need to do another obsessed with Marin Maisie oh I'm, I'm not I, I ain't mad about it um also well oh let's talk about some of the replacements that uh played in uh, into the woods. Yes, please. Yes, because we've. I mean, it also gave us Jeff Blumenkrantz because mm-hmm. he understudied Jack and he got to go on. Yes, he did a bunch. Did you know? And this is news to me. Douglas Sills was in the national tour. I did know that he was one of the princes. He was, was Rapunzel's he not? prince with Chuck Wagner as uh, Cinderella's yes. prince, and he was the original Rapunzel's prince on Broadway. Yes, yes. Um, and th- oh, again, back to the understudying. He mm-hmm. understudied Robert Westenberg <laughs> uh, as Cinderella's prince. Could you imagine just like the crazy tracking? I was about to say the, the switching around that happen imagine being like the stage manager on that show and like two people are out and it's like okay here right. we go it's like a board it's like a chess game but like could you imagine so robert so uh for those of you that don't know so robert westernberg the original cinderella's prince uh and, and kim wolf. crosby and the wolf and kim crosby the original cinderella they ended up married mm-hmm. and could you imagine so like and this is when their relationship started so they're falling in love on stage and they're kissing and they're having a relationship outside the theater and of course they're professionals i'm sure it's no big deal but yeah. imagine robert westenberg having to call out and then chuck wagner's like oh now i gotta kiss chuck 
fuck Wagner, and I hope that this doesn't make Robert feel jealous. I would love to ask um, Kim Crosby that question. Like there was a brief week where I thought I might be falling in love with Chuck Wagner, (laughs) but then Robert came back into the show. No, and here we Um, are. Well, do you know that um, Victoria Mallory, the original Anne in the Little Night music, uh, and I I know this because Vicky used to be my voice teacher for a while when she was still with us. Vicky, Victoria Mallory, was dating Len Cariou, the original Frederick in a Little Night Music, when the show was out of town and while they were on Broadway. And then they broke up pretty soon after they opened. And then she started dating the original Henrik and they ended up getting married. So literally... And they life had a Broadway baby. Art. Yeah, and they had, a, they had a Broadway baby, Miss Ramona Mallory. They, but that was a case of life literally imitating art, where she so was funny. dating the Frederick. They ended things, then she went off with Henrik. Um, she talks about it to this day. Uh, I keep talking about it like she's still here. But she told me about the night that she started dating Mark, uh, who was the original Henrik. They were backstage waiting for their entrance because they had to come on after sending the clowns. Mm-hmm. And they she was she would always watch the scene because Glynis Johns was just so incredible. Right. And then one night, like, Mark just came up next to her and held her hand. And she was like, and that's when I knew. And I went, motherfucking oh, oh, damn it. That's beautiful. A fine romance. romance. Uh do you know who also was the original Snow White in Into the Woods, understudying Little Red and Cinderella? Gene Kelly? Yeah, Gene Louise <laughs> Kelly, the who, star of Uncle Buck and the Fantastics right. and Mr. Holland's Opus. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. She's we gotta around. go get a life. <laughs> we, I have a life. It's, it's a, a sad life. one, but it's a life. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the uh, national tour also had uh, Charlotte Ray. Charlotte Ray. Of Facts of Life fame. As Jack's mother. Mm-hmm. Talk about heartbreaking. Oh my God. I to bet see she her die. Amazing. Oh. Yeah. And on Broadway, uh, Felicia Rashad was the witch for a nice yes. while. And She's in the Tony performance. Nancy Dussault, uh, Ellen Foley, who did the San Diego pre Broadway production, mm-hmm. closed the show. Mm-hmm. And then in the national tour, Cleo Lane from Edwin Drood fame yes. uh, played the witch. I've seen videos of all these women playing the witch. And the crazy thing to me, they all bring their own little twist twist to mm-hmm. the witch which I enjoy it's just hard for me to get their Bernadette Peters get past their Bernadette Peters wig absolutely because they all have that big curly Bernadette wig it's mm-hmm. like my god I've got a better Bernadette wig than you <laughs> well the um, one of them so I never realized with Bernadette that she had those um, she has these things on the side the of her head the little glittery pieces yes yeah. when she transforms yeah she's yeah. got the little glittery pieces I never noticed them because of her giant curly hair right and it wasn't until I think I watched well those are the clips you know so but but here's the thing um I when I watched I think it was Felicia Rashad do it on the Tonys because her hair is like kind of slicked down a bit yes that's when I noticed the clips and uh. I was like has that always been there? Well, yeah. Well, you watch the... God, this is this is why it's called Obsessed. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at Bernadette's hair in Act 2 and you see the, like, the little glittery things. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the transformation of Act 1, her hair is not as big as it is in Act no. 2. So that is her hair. But then they have to put on that wig and those clips clip in. Now, and they're a little more subtle if you watch the PBS production. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't know where they went. Uh, but they, like for Felicia Rashad, they put these... Gi- it almost looks like a crown. Yeah. And, like uh, giant so, wings. And Nancy Dussault has those and Cleo Lane. They've got these, it's like this, and those, it just, it's not subtle. It's, it's not, not very subtle. Um, it's very I, 80s. It's very 80s. Yeah. It's like she's in a music video for uh, Pat Benatar or something. Honestly, I think the witches, that, that honestly dates the show for me. Everything yes. else I can kind of buy as kind Her of a timeless yeah. era, but when you see the witches uh, transformation outfit. It's just a little like, oh, that, now we're in the 1980s. I'm the hitch, I'm what no one believes. I'm the witch. 
things up, I do want to do a quick uh, dissertation with you on the importance of the giant in Act 2 of Into the Woods. Sure. So I wrote a uh, piece about this for there was like a, there's an event that does these like Broadway TED Talks and they were looking for submissions and I submitted this and they said no. Oh. So I'm going to use this opportunity to talk about it. Let's talk um, about it. If you don't know the plot of Into the Woods, pause and find the plot and then come back because we're not going to overly it's explain. It's a long plot. It's a long plot. There are many things. The giant that wreaks the havoc in Act 2. Mm-hmm. Every time Into the Woods comes back to us, it's a representation of whatever's happening in our society. So in the 80s, and I don't know necessarily if... I don't think Sondheim and James Lapine meant for it to reflect right. that. Right. Yeah, I know where you're going now. But, um, you know, it being art it, it it takes on a life of its own after a while it, absolutely it, it goes beyond what the authors intended and it takes on a new meaning in the 80s when uh into what's came out it was the height of the aids epidemic uh, yes. and was definitely a reflection of that and that's how audiences interpreted it yes and then when it came back in 2001 it very much uh felt like the aftermath of 9-11 mm-hmm. um and then recently it has felt like uh the most recent election just sort of this uh, yeah. uh, it's always it's heavy yeah act two very much is a reflection on a society in disarray and how people react in crisis mm-hmm. there, are pe- there are the people who plan and there are the people who look for the good in things there are the people who immediately look for the worst in things there are the people who hide there are the people who um and just grasp at straws and say like whatever it takes to survive and i think that uh every time into the woods comes back it it makes us sort of check in with ourselves of how we are dealing with the crisis in our society. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just want to get your take on that and sort of how you feel and what characters you think reflect what. In I think, that. Well, um, I don't think, and I, th- I think there's a statement out there where James Lapine or Stephen Sondheim have said, the giant is not supposed to represent AIDS specifically. Yes. They did not write this show as a response uh, to the AIDS epidemic. Yes, they have said that. They have said that. They have but, said that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yes. Well, I mean, oh, oh, no, you're, well, you're throwing it back at them. Well, I'm throwing it back at them with you. I thought I read somewhere that they, they, it wasn't a direct response to that. I could no. be totally wrong here. So, no, they, but, um, but I think maybe the statement is that yes, the AIDS epidemic happened. Yes, 9/11 happened. Yes, the 2016 election happened. But what it comes down to is the beyond all that, it comes down to loss and moving on mm-hmm. um, and coping um, and how we cope uh, whether it is um, hiding or and or, or um, giving up mm-hmm. um, or fighting through I think it is uh, an emotional experience that we all experience differently because that is what makes us human we all make choices and I think that's I think what they're trying to reiterate no matter what no one is alone. So you can interpret it as to be a representation of uh, HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. And you can interpret it to be the 2016 election and 9-11 and mm-hmm. all that. But take that away. The human condition experiences loss and hardships. And that's what fairy tales do for us. They help us. They teach us lessons. And that's what they wanted to do with us. They, we're learning lessons, how we can cope and deal and move on mm-hmm. in whatever way we do. Um I hope that's making sense. No, it does. And I'm not 
saying that that was their intention. They they've openly said that it's not about AIDS, but it's interesting that when it comes back each time it comes back, these things happen in our society that make it even more relevant. The emotions are what well, make people how we deal to with it. it as a community. Exactly, um, and it, it gets hard because we and, and today because we lived in such a digitized era, you know, people can go from zero to ninety like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's hard as a community to respond intelligently. Um, and it's easy to respond emotionally. Are you going to respond like the stepmother and the step-siblings uh, and run away? Are you going to respond like the witch and throw the beans away and disappear in a cloud of smoke? Mm-hmm. Are you going to respond um, like the baker and try to abandon everything but come to his senses and come back? You know, Are you going to be like the baker's wife and, and fight and try to find the good and the logic and everything? Uh, there's a story I was told in college, and I wish I remembered the actual names of these people, but it's how I feel about Into the Woods in regards to Sondheim and Lapine, which is, and art in general, but this specifically, because that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some like very prolific science fiction writer uh, who was asked to come to a university, uh, to a university and give a lecture on his work. And he goes to do the lecture, blah, blah, blah. And he's there for like two days. And on the second day, he finds out that there's actually a professor who teaches a course on his stuff. Oh, interesting. So he decides he's going to go and he's going to sit in and like listen to this professor because he's like, oh, this should be this should be fun. So he goes to the uh, class, sits in the back incognito. No one knows who he is. And the professor is talking about a book and talking about this passage and, you know, a lot of the meaning behind it. And the guy raises his hand. And he goes, um, that's not what that passage is about. And the professor goes, why do you think that? And he goes, well, because I wrote it. I'm the dude. And then the professor looks at him dead in the face. He goes, what makes you think just because you wrote it, you know more about it than I do? Oh, um, well. Which is an interesting idea because there, all you can say is what the intention was when you wrote it. But then right. once it's out there. Once other people interpret it. Yeah. Because, I mean. But that's the beauty of theater, isn't it? Yeah, well, that, and that's what I love about Into the Woods, and that's what I mean with Sondheim and Lapine and the Giant, and how people interpret it as the AIDS crisis, and they had to say that's not what the meaning is. But it's still meant that to a lot of people, right? And I don't th- once I think when you're a writer, or you're an artist. Once you create it, it stops being yours, right? You can give insight into the process and what it meant for you, but then it starts meaning different things to different people. I think the danger with that is taking it too literally. Sure. You know, if if you go off and, and you do a production of Into the Woods, oh, like listening to your podcast the other day and it's a refugee camp. Oh, yeah, that uh, was fun. That, I mean, that that is, and having the the giant as a, a guard shooting the characters off, like that's, that to me, listen, I'm all for interpretation. Mm-hmm. That's great. I've heard, uh, the, oh, there's one production of Into the Woods where it's modernized and instead of, you know, the steward has a gun and so instead of banging the Jack's you mother, shoot. uh, shoots her and so, and then drops the gun and then the witch grabs the gun hides it entering into the uh, last midnight is instead here you want a bean bang uh, it, it's just no. it becomes too extreme you're, yes. you're starting to get away you're not allowing the audience to come to their own um to their own judgment to their own interpretation to their own how do i take this story in i think that goes back though to when we were talking about actors watching the original video and then trying to go the exact extreme opposite of what they did to make their mark 
Into the Woods is one of a few shows that is a trap for many directors where it's more about making their mark and showing right. off their intelligence. And not just tr- trusting the yeah. text and the music and the material. There are, there are so many opportunities for clever bits of staging and for, totally. and, for, and for ideas. But you do have to immediately start with what is the show about? Who are these people? And what does this... You know, me, what are my immediate reactions to this? Don't try to impose stuff on the text. And that's not just Into the Woods, that's everything. Exactly. Like, the reason why, you know, Shakespeare comes mm-hmm. with just like, just like enter mm-hmm. Banquo and we're in a bar, yada, yada, yada. The rest is up to you. Absolutely. You know, you get to connect the dots and fill in everything else. So yeah, if you're going to have Into the Woods and Refugee Camp, sure, sure, sure. I might not like it. Someone else might. But yeah. like, you're kind of getting away from it, aren't you? Yeah, you're getting further, further away. And I think it is still important to talk to writers about intention, especially if you're having problems with something, if you're finding something problematic in like terms of its uh, message. If you're like, I, this is what I'm getting from this character. And I find it very upsetting. The authors can say, like, great, that character's meant to be upsetting. Like, how do you deal with that? Or they can right. say, here's actually what this character's doing, and it might make him or her less upsetting to you. Yeah. Um, that is important. I, I do think, in, especially in this day and age with the internet and people taking things literally sometimes at face value, yes. we don't explore the gray area of a lot of characters. Um, and so people go, well, this show is problematic, or this per- character is problematic because X, Y, and Z. It's like, yes, they're not a perfect person, and they have a lot of dark flaws, as do most people. Um, And I think that's the beauty of Into the Woods is the first act is all of their flaws are very shallow and lovely and we we find them funny and, it's, I, and it's something familiar these yes. are stories that we all know and we have heard of mm-hmm. and then with act, act two, two flipping the switch mm-hmm. and taking away the familiarity mm-hmm. but also trying to push all these characters buttons to kind of push the humanity out of them mm-hmm. and and seeing them at their rawest at their rawest yeah what they truly are and you know what they're what they are willing to become. Before we close out, yeah. if you, you were to cast a production of Into the Woods, because you talk about how amazing you'd be as a casting director, who do you have? I thought about this. Have well, you? Let me get my notes here for a second. Uno momentito, por favor. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, Jefferson Mays. Are you familiar with Jefferson uh, Mays? Uh, from Gentleman's Guide mm-hmm. to Love and Murder. And, um, I am my own wife. Yes. I think he'd be a genius as the narrator and Mysterious Man. Absolutely. Um, I, so I'm here, down for that. Here are a couple options for you for The Witch. I would love Audrey McDonald. Mm-hmm. As the witch, or Carolee Carmelo, of course, mm-hmm. or Rachel York. Ooh, Rachel York would be good. Rachel York would be very good. I like that a lot. Um, I kind of love the idea of Bonnie Milligan as Little Red. <laughs> she would also be a really fierce witch as well. She would be. Um, and oh, I've also I also think Anne Harada would be amazing as the baker's wife. She'd be a great baker's wife. Because she's got that dryness that Joanna Gleason kind of has. Mm-hmm. Not that I need her to be Joanna Gleason, but Joanna uh, the, the baker's wife. She's kind of ahead of the game a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's she is really the hero of Act One. Mm-hmm. You know, she is the reason. She is the the force behind the baker. Um, and I I think Anne Harada could get that. Oh yeah. Who would you cast? Um. 
I know that I would really love to see Norbert Leo Butts as the baker. Oh, he'd be great. I think he'd be great. Um, I've, the two women I keep coming back to for the baker's wife are Jesse Mueller and Katrina Lenk, which I find it ironic that they're the two names that keep rolling around for Bobby. I'm like, they're my two baker's wives. I think Katrina Lenk would be great. I think Jesse Mueller... For different Mueller, reasons. Yeah, for different, totally different reasons. Jesse Mueller would be a little more of an emotional baker's wife, and yes. it would be... A, I think she would play it straight in terms of, like, the stakes mm-hmm. in Act 1, which would be very funny. Katrina Lenk would have that dryness that Joanna Gleason has, and I think would maybe even be slightly sassier than Joanna Gleason in a, yeah. like a deadpan kind in of way. In her own way. Yes. I think I, I think that that that's not sarcastic, but that dryness is necessary for that role. Absolutely. She's a woman who puts up with a lot. Mm-hmm. And so that dryness gets her through. Absolutely. You know, no, I, I'm I would love to see either one of them. Maybe they can flip flop. Uh I would be down for Philippa Sue as Cinderella. Oh yeah, that's I, a good cast. She would right there, sing yeah. shit out of it. Renee Elise Goldsberry is the witch I think would be ferocious. Uh-huh. Um, she's Angelica and Hamilton. I th- yes. Yes. I would love to see... <laughs> I think uh, Lauren Molina would be fantastic as Rapunzel. Lauren Molina from yes, the yes, Skivvies. Yes, 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 Lauren Molina from Sweeney Todd yes. and the Skivvies. Yes, she would be, she'd be a great Rapunzel. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and which made Nick Sealy would be a great Jack. Oh, that kid from Stranger Things was really good as Jack, by the way. Oh, yeah. He was really fantastic. He looked, he looked like he was good. I only saw a little clip, but he, he looked good. Um, I, yeah, I would like some you know fresh faces for Little Red and, and Jack. Uh, Sydney Lucas, maybe. I don't want maybe. a kid. Like, they, they cast those kids in the revival, and I hated them. No. I, <laughs> well, it's, they're tricky and roles. I hated them. They're tricky roles, because I don't want them to be children. But, no. And adults are fine. I really like the idea of them being at like 16, 17 in the sense that they have that innocence, but it's also that transition period that a lot of Disney characters are in the Disney Renaissance films where like they're, they're no longer children, but they're not quite mature enough to be adults yet. And they're in that passage of time where like they're aware of their surroundings. They're aware of who they are and what they want, or at least in in their sheltered universe of what they want and who they are. And it's the moment where the shit hits the fan and they really have to kind of figure out... They have to become adults real fast. Yeah, real fast. And deal with a lot of stuff that they weren't prepared to deal with. Yeah. Um, be careful what you wish for. Okay. Uh, careful the things you said. Let me ask you a question. Yes. So, who would you be more excited to hear as the voice of the giantess? <laughs> Julie Andrews, Glenn Close, Whoopi Goldberg, Judy Dench. Well, I've heard Glenn Close do it in the Central Park one. And I think she would be a really good giantess. What I didn't like about that revival with her giantess was that she was... It was a very, like, dark, menacing giantess, but spoken very slowly. What I liked about Merle Louise in the original was... was It's human. The human and the stakes. There was passion behind it. There was energy. There was was pacing to it. I've often found with the giantess, people play that scene way too slowly. I'm like, there's a goddamn 30-foot giant in front of you, and she's shaking with anger. I will say, Whoopi Goldberg was... Her, her voice work as the giantess at the Hollywood Bowl was really it was uh, frightening and really like I, good I would like to listen to that I'm sure she'd be great I would love to hear Bernadette Peters do it bring <gasps> that a, would be fascinating I think she would really kind of bring some gravitas to that um Shits and giggles, Patty Lapone. Uh, oh my God, <laughs> Patty Lapone would get those people off their asses. Um, does That's that become like a staple now, like for you know established royal actresses oh, like yeah. that to play Judy that Dench would fucking kill it too. I think oh, Angela Lansbury did it when they did it in DC. I think she'd be good doing that though. Too. I've never. I mean, I haven't heard her be like 
angry since her Manchurian candidate days. Uh, ever since Maine, <laughs> oh, she's like, you need, I'm your grandma. You need to go watch the Harvey Girls. She plays a madam of a burlesque house, and oh, she's yeah. the villain, and she's awesome. I mean, Angela Lansbury used to be the Vixen and all Vixens. Speaking of Angela Lansbury, yes. I'm coming back around. Angela Lansbury, Mame, you know who I love to see play the witch in a return to the stage? Megan Mullally? T- Tony Collette. Ooh! Tony fucking Collette. Yeah. That's, Guess, bring Tony Collette back to Broadway. That's the rumor is Mame 2021. Really? Yes, which I'm not mad about. No, not either. I she, would prefer Megan Mullally as Mame. I think Megan Mullally as Mame is a. Megan Mullally as Mame, be, I would, you know, it'd be great. Tony Collette as Mame, Megan Mullally as Vera. Done. So Done. Produce it. Let's give go. It, let's go. Give call it him. to me in every <laughs> orifice that I have. Um, if you were to direct a production of Into the Woods, mm. would you? How would you direct it? Um. I would direct it with a turntable. Mm-hmm. I love a good turntable. I think turntables bring a nice sense of movement. Um, I would also have it sparsely designed. I don't want a big, like, open space with, like, lights everywhere. I like the idea of Phantom, where it's this big black box and things kind of come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, like, one thing can represent a whole bunch of shit. And the idea that anything can come, can come from anywhere. Interesting. That's what I like about the Phantom design. And that's what I would want to bring to the woods. So it's this sense of magic and mystery, but also a slight sense of danger. Mm-hmm. And then turn that on its head in Act 2, where, you know, eventually by the end of the show once the giant is killed we do finally have some light on the stage there is light everywhere and you see the vat and you sort of see the wreckage that it's caused um because until then it's sort of this sense of wonder and anything can happen and the stage is so full as far as we're aware and then by the end of the show the lights are brighter and you see the vast empty space that they now have to build a new world out of yeah Um, i like that thank you what about you how would you do it i think i would like to direct it kind of as because I feel so strong that it's really a Shakespearean style piece, mm-hmm. I would probably try to direct it as a um, as an old fashioned old globe mm-hmm. style production with um, just like because those old globe productions back in the day, mm-hmm. they, there was the balcony, there were the doors, and that was it, and mm-hmm. then some set pieces. So very minimalistic. I'd probably have the band, very small band off in the corner, uh, and ha- have them dressed up in, in Renaissance style period mm-hmm. piece costumes as well. I just think that kind of establishes the high and state kind of brings it back to a classic sense of theatricality that I think it deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the spectacle uh, and the magic that it requires, like the witch disappearing and the transformation and mm-hmm. seeing the beanstalk rise and the giant's feet, like that requires a sense of suspending your own disbelief because the actors are creating the magic. Mm-hmm. I think I, I like that. I like that too. If I were to do that, I would actually make it so that way they are in the audience. It's all over the place. But as the play continues, especially in act two, the amount of space they take up gets smaller and smaller. So by the end of the show, they're like basically in the main stage area and they don't leave it by the end. Right. Um, just see how much smaller the world gets. Exactly. Um, and it, I, I would want it to start because with Old Globe Productions, they mm-hmm. always perform. It was always matinees. Mm-hmm. But so you, I would start the show at like 5, 5.30 around sunset. So by act one is, you know, in daylight. lit by the day. And then by act two, it gets darker and darker and darker. So the reverse of my original production. Exactly. I love it. I love it. There's room for all the woodses. Mm. <laughs> Pl- <laughs> plenty of wood to share. Oh, good night, everybody. Good night. Enough about my sex life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, um, my sex life is into the woods. It's, I ooh, mean, that, what a great porno. Ooh, gee, oh my God. Gotta and, go. The, <laughs> into the woods, more like the woods are into me. Good um, night, everybody. Good night, everybody. All right. Prescott Sutton, yes. Lee, where can 
people find you on the meads? Uh, on the socials, you can find me on Instagram at Sutton Lee Seymour. Mm-hmm. I just tell people, look for Sutton Foster and the drag queen underneath her. Always. Find me on Facebook at Sutton Lee Seymour. On Twitter, I'm at the Sutton Lee because Twitter uh, has weird letter allowances and I can't fit the R. So anyway, uh, but I'm barely on Twitter. So come to Instagram. I'm so close to almost 10,000 followers and I need yes, that for bitch. the frickin' swipe up for tickets thing. Yeah. Uh, but come see me at Broadway Mondays at Hardware Bar with Cacophony Daniels and Paige Turner. Mm-hmm. And then if you live in Astoria, which I do, I do a weekly show at Albatross Bar. Beautiful! Uh, you can find me on Instagram too, uh, at Matt Koplik. I am less than a tenth away uh, from 10,000 followers. Uh, I'm, yeah, I've think I have less than 800 but then again I don't use Instagram very often so if you do follow me jokes on you uh yeah uh Sutton who would you like to play us out today do have we done Joanna Gleason yet we have not done I mean it seems appropriate I mean just to fuck with you I'm gonna play her and Nick and Nora no no I won't I won't do that I love her too much I know Uh, oh I know I know (laughs) I I met her once I met her once and she was the most lovely woman in the world. Oh, uh, bad. I was working at Pearl Studios at the time. I got to check her in. And you're not supposed to say, I love you. But I just had to say, thank you for your performance Into the Woods. It inspired me to pursue a life in the theater. And I just had to say, thank you. And she said, you're gay, aren't you? And she said that, yes. No, she <laughs> said, she just said, thank you. That's, she said, that's really nice to hear. And I told her, I said, you probably hear that a lot. And she said, I don't actually. So if you ever meet Joanna Gleason... Be sure you thank her for her wonderful performance in Into the Woods. I was with my dad a few weeks ago, and he said, Matt, who's the actress who plays Woody Allen's wife in Crimes and Misdemeanors? And I said, Joanna Gleason. He goes, yeah, that's you. And I went, first of all, Dad, she's not known as Woody Allen's wife in Crimes and Misdemeanors. She's known as the Tony Award-winning, iconic, original Baker's wife, and I'm embarrassed for you for not knowing that. And he apologized, and I said, yeah, you're forgiven, but just always know. Always know. She's not Uh, Joanna Gleason from The Wedding Planner. She's Joanna Gleason from Into the Woods. And always will be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you, Prescott Sutton Lee. Oh my god, thank you, Matt. I'm just going to call you Prescott Sutton Lee forever. A lot of people call me Prescott Lee. Prescott Lee? Yeah, Prescott. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. He walked down the street, Prescott Lee. Huh, I'm a verb now. You are a verb. Fuck you very much. (laughs) (laughs) And fuck you too. Bye, everybody. There's the answer if you're clever. Have a child for warmth and a baker for bread and a prince for whatever. Never, it's these woods. Face the facts, find the boy, join the group, stop the giant, just get out of these woods. Was that him? Yes, it was. Was that me? No, it wasn't just a trick of the woods. Just a moment. One peculiar passing moment. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. 